You're listening to Resurrection Life with Pastor Nathan Trice. There are a lot of ways that the internet has made life easier for us in this 21st century, but friends, uh, I think it is fair to say that parenting is not one of those things. Uh, To be sure, there's nifty things now available online, like podcasts on parenting. Uh, But there's also a whole world of things available to our kids online that just makes parenting much harder. Welcome back to Resurrection Life, and uh, join us as we tackle the subject of raising kids in an internet age. Now, that's an immense subject. And uh, I do intend to say at least a few things about it. Uh, And in order to do so, folks, I'm going to divide this uh, subject into two parts, both of them which are quite immense in themselves. Um, I want to look, first of all, today in this podcast uh, at parenting in a world of social media. And then, Lord willing, next time we'll look at parenting in a world uh, of online entertainment. Uh, So today I want to talk about the Internet's near-infinite capacity to connect our kids with other people. Uh, And then next uh, week, or rather next episode, uh, I'll look at the Internet's seemingly endless capacity uh, just to distract our kids and to amuse them. So uh, as I take up this first issue of raising kids in a social media world, Uh, Guys, I have this sense, unlike with the last subject that I raised, uh, that everyone's talking about this particular issue. Uh, It's become a matter of grave concern to parents well beyond uh, the faithful, conservative uh, Christian community that I'm ministering to. Indeed, the harmful effects of social media on children has come to be the cause celebre of our day. Uh, Just a few weeks ago, actually, uh, the heads of the biggest social media companies were all hauled before a Senate hearing, uh, and they were subjected to uh, a bipartisan, actually, flogging (laughs) for the effects of their platforms on kids, kids in America. Uh, So it was the head of Facebook, it was the head of Twitter, the head of Twitter, uh, that is now X, uh, TikTok, Snapchat and Discord. All these uh, heads of these social media companies were there, and they were told in front of uh, television and a packed room, uh, in the words of one senator, that they had blood on their hands. If you saw that uh, or any of that footage, that was quite a moment. All this shared righteous indignation against the social media giants of our day. So folks, in light of all that publicity that the problem of social media uh, has gotten, there's a lot that I don't think I have to highlight in this podcast. There's a lot of things that I don't have to dive into. Others have done so, and uh, it's everywhere you turn these days. You know by now that kids are in danger from online bullies, not to mention sexual predators. Uh, in social media. They, you know, can be solicited for incriminating photos and then extorted uh, by means of them. Kids can be introduced through social media to uh, endlessly uh, evil subcultures uh, that are foreign to anything else they would experience in their actual lives. Uh, They can be introduced to things like cutting or gender dysphoria or radical ideologies. They can become addicted to social media. They can live more in the virtual world than in the real world. They can become enslaved to the affirmation that they receive there, or driven to despair, on the other hand, from criticisms or comparisons they suffer from through social media. And I'm just scratching the surface uh, with all the ways that social media or our children's involvement in social media, more specifically and accurately, uh, has been so detrimental uh, to kids. I uh, say everyone's talking about this these days, uh, and I trust parents 
uh, you know all this. Uh, the harmful effects of social media on our children is not first and foremost a corporate America problem or a government problem. Guys, it's a parental problem. Uh, it is our problem as moms and dads. It's our responsibility first and foremost uh, to protect our children and disciple them in a social media world. <clears throat> uh, I, um, I did watch a little clip of that congressional hearing that I just made reference to, and I became aware at some point in the uh, video that I was watching that there were assembled in that room, by invitation, no doubt, uh, parents of kids who had themselves been victimized in some way or another on social media. And they were there, of course, because they had a stake in uh, how or whether social media companies were uh, held accountable for their policies. Now, um, thanks to the behavior of the <laughs> inquisitors at the front, uh, at one point the whole climate of the room came to be essentially this. Uh, the trauma, even in some cases the death of kids, was the fault of those social media executives that were sitting there. That was the climate. That was the sense of it. And indeed, one senator at one point demanded hotly that Mark Zuckerberg turn around and apologize to those parents. Well, guys, I don't know how to measure Mark Zuckerberg's responsibility uh, for where those kids went online and who they socialized with. Uh, and to be sure, he will indeed answer to God, uh, as we all will. But I did find myself wondering, do those parents assembled in that room consider themselves free of all responsibility? Uh, they too will answer to the Lord for where their kids went online and who they became friends with online. And I say all that to say, friends uh, listening to this little podcast, your kids' use of social media uh, is first and foremost your responsibility. We'll let the corporate executives answer to God for their algorithms and their inadequate censorship and so on, but uh, you and I will answer for whether we've guided and overseen our kids' social lives. Um, certainly we'll be held accountable if we just turn them loose into <laughs> the jungle of modern social media. So I have already said this in this series, uh, parents, it's not your child's constitutional right to have unfiltered, unregulated access uh, to the World Wide Web on his personal device. Um, I made some reference to this in my podcast on sons and their purity, and uh, I mentioned there the tools, at least some of them, that are available that enable parents to give their kids a measure of overstrike, sorry, oversight, uh, to put certain restrictions in place, and to hold them accountable for their use of the internet. Uh, so I'm taking that bit uh, as a given as I continue. I've already uh, spoken to that. Uh, friends, as I take up the subject now, my primary burden is not about parental control, how to control your kids' access to social media, or even how to hold them accountable uh, for their behavior in it. I am rather now interested to talk more about parental instruction uh, in this area of the internet. How do we impart to our kids the right priorities and the wise convictions concerning social media? How can we be persuasive to them of the real dangers that are found on social media? How can we, how can we lead our kids towards a wise use of social media? Now, <laughs> that last line, actually, it's a little hard for me to say that, I have to admit. Uh, that bit about a wise use of social media. Some of you will know this about me. Um, I incline, you might say, towards the teetotaler view of social media, uh, which is to say, in, a, in light of a world of temptation that I'll be talking about in this podcast and the potential for harm that's posed by social media, I'm rather strongly inclined to think it's just better to abstain altogether. Um, I think teenagers in general, and frankly, a lot of adults would be better off without social media at all. And 
Uh, by the way, that's uh, a view that's shared by some far outside of the church uh, in our day. But here's the thing, folks. I know better than to say that there is no profit at all uh, to these technologies or these platforms. Uh, and in fact, I know that a great deal of good can be done and can be experienced uh, through them. So here's my last check. The mission of Facebook, uh, one of the older social media companies by now. Uh, quote, we're making it possible for many millions of people on Facebook to broaden their horizons, deepen their friendships, share good times, and solve problems together. Now, there's a lot of Christian ambition uh, that's captured in those words. Uh, Social media can actually be used by God's people to deepen the ties that bind in the broader covenant community. And social media can be used by God's people to collaborate on various kingdom endeavors, as Facebook says, to solve problems together. So, I am going to sound very cautious and downright critical as I try to sound the alarm about some of the dangers of social media for our kids. But folks, believe it or not, (laughs) believe it or not, I'm not doing so as a hopeless Luddite. And uh, in principle, I am not a technology teetotaler, a social media teetotaler. Your kids, maybe you yourselves. Uh, will sing the praises of the various blessings of social media. Uh, I'm going to spend my time uh, singing, if you will, the pitfalls of them so that uh, parents are well-equipped, as best I can, help in that, uh, in parenting kids uh, in a social media world. So that's a long-winded wind-up to our subject. Here's what lies ahead. If you continue to listen on, I'm going to talk first of all about the pitfalls for kids of a virtual social life. And then the second part of this podcast, I'm going to talk about the cardinal sins of the social media world. The first part, the pitfalls for kids of a virtual social life, that's things that parents should be watchful of, even if all their kids have is access to other kids by means of texts. Uh, It's the broadest kind of counsel that I would give to parents. And then The second part of the podcast is going to be specifically bearing down on what are the things that parents should be especially watchful of, specifically watchful of if their kids have accounts with various social media platforms. So then pitfalls for kids uh, in a virtual social life. For all of our talk now about modern inventions, let's just acknowledge that communicating with people with whom we are not physically present is not actually a modern innovation. Um, Your Bible uh, consists of such communication in various ways. Letters, for example, sent from apostles to churches. So we uh, recognize that, but we also recognize that when the telegraph became the telephone and texts became posts and videos uh, were recordable uh, right there in the object your child is holding in his hand. Oh, we have catapulted forward into uh, this, what I'm calling virtual social life. Um, It's a kind of socializing that's carried on apart from face-to-face interaction. Uh, Your kids will carry on their friendships from church or from school or wherever uh, via their devices. And they'll also be able to strike up friendships with people they've never met. All of it online. And so for all the opportunities and the blessings of all of this, here's my list of the pitfalls that come with a virtual social life. Five problems every parent needs to be wise to, even if you're son or daughter has nothing more than the ability (laughs) to text his friends. Number one, pitfall for kids, uh, is in, sorry, anti-social behavior. That seems a bit ironic that uh, social media uh, would have as a pitfall anti-social behavior. Let me explain. Uh, So you take your typical teenager, uh, the moment they first come into possession of their own personal device, something that they can use to reach out, 
to their friends. What will they do? Well, they'll immediately text them. They'll connect with them through various other apps on their phones. And this whole new world of social connectedness uh, will open up for them. Now, parents, one of the immediate effects of this is that you, the other members of your family as well, will suddenly have a rival for your son or your daughter's attention, pretty much at any time. Uh, So there he is. There's your son. He's in your house. He's with you. He's with his siblings. He's doing what you're doing. And yet he has access now to a whole other potential social life, one that is reaching out to him, one that's calling to him through various kinds of notifications, uh, for example. And friends, here's my point. That virtual social life will naturally, unless you are intentional about this, win out over many, many important social settings that you'll actually be with your son in. You'll need to teach your child Uh, some basic principles of love and consideration that should guide him as he uses uh, this uh, social, virtual social life device. So, for example, uh, what is wrong with your teenager checking his phone while you're trying to say something very important to him? What's wrong with that? Uh, What's wrong with him carrying on a text conversation with his buddies during family dinner? What's wrong with him coming home from school and going straight to the couch and hanging out online for the rest of the evening? Well, I'm calling all that antisocial behavior, ironically coming through social media, but what's actually wrong with that? Well, I would submit to you parents, you need to be clear on this, these are varying levels of disregard for the people that God has actually placed there in your teen's actual social life. I remember um, on one occasion uh, taking a young man, uh, as I am often uh, privileged to do, uh, out for um, a Coke or a a meal at a restaurant and realizing as I was talking to this young man about spiritual things, that as I was sort of leaning into the conversation, he was looking down at, I realized, his phone— It was positioned just under the table where he was apparently (laughs) carrying on another conversation, replying to texts uh, with someone who wasn't there at the table. Now, is there anything actually wrong with that? Never mind that it's his pastor. Is Is that something inappropriate at some level, parents? Well, in 1 Corinthians 13, we're told love is not rude which is that word there, uh, it's a reference to being careless about the effect of our actions on others. Um, It's not criminal, but it's rude to check your phone when you're in the middle of an important, a weighty conversation with someone that's right in front of you. It's selfish, for that matter, to spend a whole meal in private conversation with people that are not there, that group that you're talking to as a teenager uh, while you're sitting at supper with your family may be more interesting to you, and their fellowship may be more important to you, but it's selfish not to recognize. It's a crisis of love not to be aware that you owe that regard for the people there at that table. Uh, servanthood is at issue here in our young adult. Uh, whether they want to regard those that they're with uh, as presenting to them opportunities to serve. And it's self-serving, conversely, to opt out of that in favor of, well, we could call it less demanding uh, social interaction. So parents, what I'm trying to say into this first heading, antisocial behavior as a pitfall of uh, kids having a virtual social life, I'm encouraging my fellow parents As you open the social media door for your children, even if it's just texting, make sure that you've made clear the kind of antisocial conduct, rude behavior, that you're not going to tolerate. Have a a talk uh, with your kids about cell phone etiquette, for example. Uh, Make clear to them uh, the times and places when being online is okay and when it's not. 
and make clear that you're not going to let his virtual social life wag the dog uh, of his family social life. So antisocial behavior, pitfall number one. Pitfall uh, number two, the privacy of online communication is a pitfall to kids with a virtual social life. So once upon a time, if Big Sister was talking on the phone to a boy, well, everyone in the house knew. She's tying up the phone, for one, and she's there in her room, hour and a half. (laughs) But it is so different now, isn't it? The devices in our homes are personal to each one of us. Uh, Your kids will eventually have their own phone number and their device that fits in their pocket uh, will be available to them to communicate privately uh, with all their friends. And parents often don't have a clue. Uh, not only what is being said, but who they're communicating with. Now, if you just bear in mind all that the Scripture says about the danger of bad friendships uh, to especially young people, uh, this is a potential problem, parents. The privacy of online communication allows whole relationships to be developed and to go in directions that parents have absolutely no insight into or oversight of. I think this comes home to us and actually staggers us uh, when we see uh, on our uh, news feeds uh, reports of horrendous things, uh, things like school shootings, uh, where there are parents who profess to be wholly unaware of their son or their daughter's radicalization or or orientation towards violence. And uh, we hear their testimony, they had no idea, and we wonder how that could be, and at least part of the answer to that surely must be. Their kids had uh, such uber privacy uh, in their online communication. Make clear, parents, uh, make clear to your son or daughter that you reserve the right to keep tabs on their online social lives. You're not interested, of course, in reading every text or every post, but you have the right to do so. Make that very clear to your children. No one needs to be unaccountable on the internet. Uh, Accountability is like a pair of training wheels at the outset uh, of kids going online. And make clear to your kids, if you're going to go someplace online, you need to be willing for us to know where you're going. Just like if you're going to go someplace in your car or the car that I'm letting you borrow, I need to know where you're going. Same in both cases. Uh, You know this, but I just uh, repeat it for emphasis. Children do not have a right to privacy as much as our society or our kids might think that's so, not at least as they begin in their uh, early days uh, going online. Keep the passwords, make the routine checks. It will not always have to be this way, thankfully, but it needs to start uh, that way. The privacy of online communication, that's a second pitfall. Here's pitfall number three, though. Uh, That is the illusion of online privacy. That's a pitfall, I'm saying, uh, for kids with a virtual social life. Now, I said a moment ago that's the private nature of a virtual social life that's a problem. Now I'm saying that it's the illusion of privacy that's the problem. What gives now? Well, uh, of course, Uh, Your kids can be quite successful in keeping their social lives private, at least for a time, from you, uh, unless you take those precautions I've just uh, mentioned. But folks, uh, they'll have less success keeping it from other people in their lives, certainly in keeping it from uh, the group that they're a part of online. And here's my point. It will be downright dangerous for them or for you, to assume that they can, that they can keep their online behavior, their online communication entirely private. Guys, uh, this is one of the greatest heartaches that comes from uh, social media involvement for young people, and that is uh, young people being lulled into the sense of confidentiality with those that they're connecting with online, only to find that 
private texts or messages and posts, and yes, even photos, can prove to be slippery things. They can end up being seen by people that they were never intended uh, for, whether it's texting a friend or posting comments to a private group. In any case, uh, it's the illusion of online privacy that is now uh, the pitfall. Uh, My recent check of the statistics was that the average young adult receives uh, well over 100 texts per day. And that doesn't include another 200 texts or uh, rather, or uh, social media notifications that come along <laughs> with the texts. Now think about it. What do young people tend to communicate about? Well, uh, it ranges widely. I think we can all agree. I said a few inane things to my friends when I was a teenager, and there's a fair amount of that ongoing texting and uh, other kind of posting communication that uh, even in mature kids would be relatively inane. The difference for many of the parents listening to me is that they said a whole world of things, not entirely responsible as young people, about which there was no record. But folks, it's not that way anymore. Uh, Drill into your kids, parents, as they venture into a virtual social life. Kids never say in a text or never say online something you're not willing for the whole world to know. I talk from time to time with the tech nerds in my life about this subject, and I gather from them that there is a permanent and potentially public footprint that's left by everything we post online. That's a terrifying thought. And your relatively immature son or daughter uh, is venturing into that world of recorded conversation as they go online, Uh, even if they have the sense, at least, the illusion of privacy. That really is a vicious combination, isn't it? Our online conversations tend to be rather impulsive, instantaneously sent and received, and and absolutely unending. They just go on and on and on. But they're all conversations that are on the record, quote-unquote. Think of Proverbs 10, verse 19. When words are many, transgression is not lacking. Or James 1, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. So all this to say, parents, there's a certain amount of caution an outright warning uh, as parents to kids that are uh, venturing into the virtual social life. It is only an illusion uh, that they can say things online privately. Pitfall number four for kids with a virtual social life. I'll call this uninhibited communication. So this is the phenomenon that should also be of concern to Christian parents. It's recognized far beyond uh, the church uh, also. Uh, And it's this. We all have lower social inhibitions when we're interacting online, lower than when we are doing so in real life. Uh, So you could say that online communication is somewhat insulated communication. So, for example, Uh, It takes courage to say certain things to certain people face-to-face. We all know this. It, have you noticed, takes less courage, less nerve to say those things in a text or in a post. We can feel freer. We can feel less inhibited to say things when we're online than when we're face-to-face. So a guy, for example, finds it easier to ask a girl out by means of that little text. Or someone finds it a lot easier to say strongly opinionated things uh, in a Facebook post. We sometimes call those keyboard cowboys uh, because of how strong and bold they are from the safety of their keyboard. Uh, What all this means is that there's a tendency, uh, we all feel this, to be irresponsible in our interactions online. 
uh, it's sort of like the lowering of inhibitions that a few drinks can provide to some people. Did you know there's actually a name for this um, in the secular world? Uh, it's the name online disinhibition effect. <laughs> it's actually a, a thing that's got a name. And I'm saying, parents, this needs to be something that uh, you point out to your kids. Teach your kids never to say online what they're not willing to say face-to-face, whether they're being confrontational or flirtatious. Don't hide uh, behind the media, the social media. So in this respect, I have spoken to my kids as they've entered into dating relationships about how texting is the perfect medium for flirting, Uh, whispering sweet nothings in the ear, Oh, text is perfect medium for that. I'm actually kind of a fan of flirting in the right context, in the right way. But I'm not a fan, as my children will testify to, of whole romantic relationships being built on mere flirting. And I do think that whole romances get up off the ground and and well into uh, a romantic trajectory just by the insubstantial, to put it nicely, communication uh, that is carried out by texts, uninhibited texting. I've also encouraged uh, my kids, uh, don't confront a brother or a sister in the Lord uh, by means of some electronic communication. You're likely to say it more harshly. You're likely to not say it with the love that the Scripture calls you to when you need to say something hard Don't say it in an uninhibited moment online. Say it prayerfully uh, in person. So I grant it my uh, title for this podcast is probably trying to be a little too clever, but I would suggest that there really is such a thing as a socially mediated kid. Uh, If you will, that's a young person who is so dependent on electronic media that he's lost important skills for relating to people directly, apart from that mediating device that he has. He can't look people in the eye. Uh, He can't engage in important communication. And that's across the whole spectrum, whether it's to woo someone or to confront someone. So pitfalls to kids having a virtual social life. Number one, antisocial behavior. Uh, Number two, the privacy of it all. Number three, the illusion of privacy in it all. Number four, the disinhibition of it all, or disinhibition tendencies. And uh, let me give my fifth in these terms. I'll call this the devaluation of face-to-face fellowship. So, friends, I've preached a sermon at Resurrection many moons ago entitled Fellowship, in a Facebook age. And it's one that I've drawn on for this podcast uh, that I'm making now for parents. One of the key texts in that sermon uh, that I use is Proverbs 27, verse 10. It goes like this. Do not forsake your friend and your father's friend, and do not go to your brother's house in the day of your calamity. Better is a neighbor who is near than a brother who is far away. So there's a principle there that can be ignored by all of us in our social media opportunities. I'm going to call it the principle of proximity that should be a directing influence on our fellowship and our ministry as Christians. So folks, who are our friends? Who are they really? With whom should we keep in touch? Really? How are we to decide as Christians who we're to invest in? Uh, Christians, for a lot longer than Facebook has been around, have always been tempted to think that was a matter entirely for them to decide. But folks, it's never been easier to do this with the internet, its various forms, uh, as a medium for friendship. You know this, there are increasingly disturbing examples of men and women, boys and girls, who live entirely in a virtual social world. 
They choose all their friends to that medium, and they do so to the exclusion of meaningful relationships with their neighbors or their coworkers or what have you. Even apart from that extreme, the Internet invites us to choose our friends. Notice, according to those who have a lot in common with us, people who are not too needy. That's kind of a burden, isn't it? People who are nice to me. And if they're not, I'll just unfriend them. (laughs) But what does this overlook? Here's my point. It overlooks a central guide that should be in all of our lives for determining our friendships and our ministries, and that is the providence of God. So God is the one who's placed us in communities as an indication of who we are to reach out to. He's given us some guidance by his providence uh, as to whom we should befriend. That applies to people in your neighborhood, in your workplace, in your gym, but most of all, it applies to your congregational community, your church. So verse 10, better is a neighbor who is near than a brother who is far away. That, I would invite you to consider that verse, Proverbs 27.10, as a celebration of the value of friendship with those that God has placed near you. So parents, what I'm pleading for you to do is to lead your sons and daughters in that biblical perspective. There's no substitute for face-to-face fellowship and face-to-face ministry with the people that God has placed near you. I just remind you, the Apostle Paul is writing letters uh, in the New Testament as we have them. For example, he's writing to the Thessalonians, a letter that would become Bible or part of it. Yet he still says, we pray most earnestly, night and day, that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. I love this perspective the apostle gives us. That is much as he himself would have valued uh, the written word uh, as a means of grace in the lives of the Thessalonians, there was still no substitute for face-to-face ministry. And so he's so eager uh, to be in their presence. Uh, Lead your kids, moms and dads, as they venture, even in the most beginning of ways, into a virtual social life. Lead your kids against uh, the devaluing of face-to-face friendship and face-to-face ministry. That's to remain the priority for all of us as Christians, uh, being guided by the providence of God, placing us among those that he's calling us uh, to befriend uh, and to minister to. All right, so all that under the heading, The Pitfalls for Kids— of a virtual social life. And I was seeking to uh, draw the attention of my fellow parents to issues that arise no matter what level of online connecting uh, our kids uh, eventually might be doing. Uh, If podcasts had intermissions, this would be an intermission. Uh, This may be all that you have time for in one sitting, so feel free to pause here and come back to the second half at a later time. But uh, I want to look for the rest of our time at the subject of what I'm calling the cardinal sins of the social media world. Now, parents, I'm going to start sounding now like I'm talking to you uh, rather than just about your kids, and that's because I am. Uh, I'm aware Uh, that many of you are, for yourself, uh, immersed in the social media world. And uh, in order for you to teach your kids about some serious temptations to sin that they will encounter uh, through their social media um, activity, uh, you're going to need to see it for yourself. And perhaps even uh, some of the cardinal sins that I want to identify as we continue. So let me just say that all of us, our young people, in unique ways perhaps, but all of us have certain vulnerabilities uh, to what we could call social sins. And social media can facilitate uh, the expression of those sins. I'm going to 
single out three age-old social sins that are immeasurably, I want to say, accentuated in a social media age. Number one is voyeurism. Number two is exhibitionism. And number three is narcissism. None of those are biblical words, but I'm using those colorful words in order to capture, I think, as you will see, biblical uh, issues and uh, biblically defined uh, sins that we need to instruct our children against. We need to warn our children against them, and we need to be watchful against them ourselves. So uh, let me just say again, there is nothing new under the sun. There are no sins that waited until 2004 when Facebook was founded, for example. (laughs) Friendship, fellowship, socializing in general, uh, these have all been things Satan has uh, willingly perverted uh, among men for millennia. But I do think that there's a multiplication of opportunities for abuse. Uh, There's, if I can put it this way, there's so much more opportunity for friendship to be distorted uh, through the media that we have today. So uh, for the next few moments, uh, this will be important for all of you to consider. Uh, Consider this. uh, What does true friendship consist of? Well, I am not the first to submit that it consists of knowing and of being known. That's what friendship consists of. All human relationships that qualify as friendships, knowing and being known. So if I'm a true friend to you, well, I show an interest in getting to know you. Uh, And if I'm a true friend to you, I also show myself willing uh, to be known by you. So my point now is that social media facilitates both of those things, knowing and being known. As a matter of fact, it facilitates it in explosive new ways. You can be known and you can know more widely and know more immediately than ever before in human history. So what could possibly go wrong? Well, three things could go wrong. Number one, when I speak of voyeurism uh, as a cardinal sin of social media, I'm talking about the desire to know others gone bad, if you will. I'm talking about the arising in the heart of sinful people of a kind of an an unhealthy kind of need to know. Um, So again, relationship is about knowing other people. It's about knowing their thoughts and feelings and experiences and uh, even the details of their lives. A true friend wants to know what you're going through and whether it's Facebook or blogs or personal web pages or Instagram or what have you, there's windows that are opened up by these media into other people's lives. And the ability to know about other people is exponentially greater. But my friends, is it possible for this desire to know to become unwholesome, to go mutant, if you will. Well, of course it is. Of course it is. And I submit to you, it it manifests itself in a kind of preoccupation with the doings of other people that's separated from the real intention or even a meaningful opportunity uh, to minister to them as friends do. So think about it. Through the internet, we are now able to be fed a steady, an immense stream of information about a rather sizable number of people that we're no longer in any kind of personal interaction with, meaningful personal reaction. Here's the danger of all this. The knowledge that we acquire of other people, their lives, and so on, and the desire for that knowledge can become an end in itself. Uh, you and I could become addicted just to knowing. Now, what could be wrong with that? What could be wrong with the desire to know? Well, possibly nothing. If it's your good faith intention to make good use of the knowledge that you acquire of other people. 
uh, to use that knowledge for good, to use that knowledge to minister to them, to use that knowledge at least to pray for them. But there is a problem with just the naked desire to know. This is where some of our cultural critics are beginning to speak of a voyeur mentality that can arise in connection with the Internet. When so much time is spent just trying to know the details of other people's lives as a kind of personal gratification. I uh, read some time ago an article by a Christian regarding Facebook, and uh, this person set out to list the positives and the negatives of Facebook. And here are the positives. The capacity to know what your friends and acquaintances are doing at all times. The capacity to know the interests and goings-on of your friends and acquaintances without asking them. That's put underneath the positives. (laughs) Now, listen to what are listed under the negatives. The capacity to know what your friends and acquaintances are doing at all times. The capacity to know the interests and goings-on of your friends and acquaintances without asking them. Of course, the point is, uh, the the strength is the weakness. Um, The blessing is the curse. Uh, of Facebook. Is there a biblical word, folks, for the person who desires to know, just to know? Well, it's the word busybody. Uh, 1 Timothy 5, for example, uh, Paul uses it in describing the kind of widows that are not to be provided with ongoing diaconal support. That's the larger context. And he says this in verse 11, But refuse the younger widows, for when they've begun to grow wanton against Christ, they desire to marry, having condemnation because they have cast off their first faith. And besides, they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but also gossips and busy bodies, saying things which they ought not. You notice how Paul puts gossip and being a busybody right there together. Gossip is someone who talks a lot about other people's business, and a busybody is simply someone who wants to know about other people's business. Use the same expression in 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 11, for we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busybodies. In that context, of course, he's talking about all this acquiring of knowledge about other people comes at a price, and the price it comes with is the price of not getting things done, of being idle. So folks, the desire to keep in touch with other people is itself a very noble one, but we need to be honest with ourselves, and we need to help our kids be honest with themselves. Do you want to know what's going on in other people's lives for reasons of true friendship? So you can pray for them, encourage them, hold them accountable. In other words, be a friend. Or do you just want to know? That's the age-old problem of, well, nosiness, becoming a busybody. I've called that in the modern term voyeurism, cardinal sin of social media. Number one. Number two, I have called exhibitionism, and it's the mirror image of the other. It's the desire to be known by others that itself has gone bad. So, folks, there really can be an unhealthy need to be known in the social media version of friendship. Again, relationship requires not only your knowing things about your friends, but also You're revealing yourself. You can't be a true friend without, in some degree, as we say it, opening up, talking about yourself. And oh my, social media provides ample new ways for you to share about yourself to others. But is it possible for this desire to become unwholesome, to go mutant? Well, yes, it is. It's possible when that Desire to be known by others becomes, well, an expression of vanity, uh, of self-absorption. 
you all have uh, encountered the, quote, friend who seems more preoccupied about promoting himself in the relationship than really pursuing friendship. The conversation or the things you do all surround that person. You recognize that's a distortion of friendship. And it's a distortion of that element of friendship whereby we make ourselves known to one another. Well, folks, there's so much about social media that is ideally suited for that kind of egoism. The medium itself is designed for us to, well, essentially log on and start talking about ourselves. Uh, We call that, in a person, uh, someone who's a bore or a braggart. And I am using a word that I've seen more and more applied in the culture at large among our cultural critics about internet socializing. It's the word exhibitionism. Those who've come to have a certain satisfaction in, in just exposing to others even the smallest details of their lives, going public with their lives in a wide variety of ways. What would be the biblical word for this particular sin problem? Well, it would probably come under biblical words like vanity or conceit or pride. Philippians 2 comes to mind, verse 3, Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Folks, we have a a time in history uh, when, sadly enough, Many people are not content just to live their lives. Uh, They're having to live their lives through other people's eyes, constantly thinking about what their experience will look like as they share it online with others. And that's, again, a kind of need to be known that has gone bad and has experienced accentuated by social media. So voyeurism, cardinal sin number one. Exhibitionism, cardinal sin number two. And cardinal sin number three uh, of a social media world, well, it's narcissism. That's when we turn friendships uh, or socializing in general into various forms of self-gratification. You remember where we get the term narcissism? Uh, we get it from Greek mythology, and Narcissus was this uh, handsome Greek young person who uh, spurned the love of a nymph named Echo, and uh, as punishment for this, he was condemned to fall in love with his own reflection uh, as he saw it in a pool of water. So folks, the internet has allowed many people to devote large amounts of time staring at their own image, grooming that image, in fact, falling in love with that image. So the desire to keep others abreast of our lives, well, that's a noble one, but we need to keep watch on ourselves and help our children do too the same. Why are we posting pictures? Why are we providing those updates? Are those things utterly unrelated to the purposes of friendship? Have they become, for our young people, little shrines that they're cultivating, shrines to self? Um, Watch for this. Uh, When there ends up being this urgency felt by your son or your daughter, or for that matter, for yourself, to post something about what you're doing, Uh, you are aware that the devices we carry in our pockets uh, have uh, nowadays been designed uh, to be able to take pictures of the one holding them. We call those selfies. Uh, And we live in an increasingly selfie culture. Uh, All of our young people, but perhaps in certain ways, especially our daughters, are uh, vulnerable to posting the pictures of themselves in order to get the comments from their friends. Oh, girl, you're so hot, or what have you. My wife and I have been amazed and uh, at times distressed over that little 
um, synergy that can happen among young women, uh, posting images of themselves and being affirmed in those images. Uh, it's a kind of narcissism. Folks, this really is an age-old perversion of friendship, twisting something that is intended to be a means of blessing each other uh, into a means of self-gratification. And it is so, so insidious. It's a, a cheapening of something that the Scripture exalts, this thing we call friendship. Folks, friendship is to be a means of mutual blessing and ministry. Uh, and what that means is that friendships are things which come, relationships that come with both privileges and responsibilities. And here's what social media does very well. It separates privileges from responsibilities so that we can know without being responsible for what we know. Listen to this note of responsibility that's attached to friendship in the book of Proverbs. So Proverbs 17, 17, friends are responsible to be there for you. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Or Proverbs 18, 24, that tells us that friends are responsible to show commitment. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Or Proverbs 27, 6, which makes clear that friends are responsible to give reproof. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Or Proverbs 27, 9, which makes clear how friends are responsible to provide counsel. Oil and perfume make the heart glad. And the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Folks, I suspect that if we had a weightier view of, of what friendship entails and the responsibility that comes upon true friends for the knowledge that they receive about others in their lives. Well, if we had that, uh, we might be less enthusiastic with all the limitless knowledge that social media provides. If you see your brother in sin, what's your responsibility? If you see your brother in need, what is your responsibility? If you see your brother rejoicing, what is your responsibility? If your brother is in need of prayer, what is your responsibility? In a social media world, we've allowed our knowledge of each other to be divorced from ministry. And I'm afraid, I see it even myself, we can in effect train ourselves to be unresponsive. Uh, to others' needs, because there's just so many others, so many, quote, friends. We can't actually uh, feel responsible for all the knowledge that we are uh, seeking to attain about others. I sometimes think that uh, social media uh, can become, for real friendships, uh, what casual sex is uh, for romantic relationships. It separates the fun from the faithfulness. So friendships in biblical terms are not just two people or a group of people discovering how much they have in common, but involves something called befriending uh, and ministering uh, to one another. This so easily is lost uh, in the social media world uh, where so much narcissism uh, rules the day. Well, brothers and sisters, this is my attempt uh, to identify what I'm calling three cardinal sins uh, that are temptations uh, to your kids, uh, if not to you as well. You can perhaps see by now uh, why I said at the outset I have teetotaler tendencies when it comes to social media. Uh, folks, I'm just not sure that the benefit to our kids outweighs all the potential Toxicity, to use the term in vogue today, um, that's actually a question that uh, the secular professionals are beginning to raise as well. Here's what you need to ask yourself as a parent. Am I prepared uh, to do the parenting that's necessary uh, to guide my son or my daughter through this world? Or am I just making my job unnecessarily harder uh, as a parent? 
Uh, in the Trice household, we decided to steer our kids away from social media as a whole, with certain uh, significant exceptions. But we did so with a lot of teaching and uh, explaining that we didn't see these media uh, themselves as inherently sinful, but as a kind of medium that is hard to do well. But I'm aware that there are many parents that will take a different approach with their kids. Uh, They will want a certain real benefits of social media for their kids, and they'll be committed to guiding them through this in a responsible way. Can I just uh, wrap up with a few final suggestions for you parents uh, as you uh, do uh, supervise your kids' entrance into these social media accounts and so on, if that is what you choose. Uh, number one, consider delaying your kids' asset access to social media until they have a certain measure of wisdom, uh, of self-discipline. <laughs> I've been using the... Uh, the use of alcohol as an illustration. I call myself a social media teetotaler, but of course, in the realm of alcohol itself, I'm not actually a teetotaler. I'm partial to IPAs, very peaty scotch. But folks, even Christians who enjoy alcohol in moderation with a clear conscience can agree. It's not a good idea to give it to a child who has no training in self-discipline. And so I'm submitting to you, I think allowing kids uh, into social media too early is like giving whiskey to a toddler. They're not mature enough. They're not self-disciplined enough. they're, They're simply not wise enough. They haven't had enough benefit of your influence uh, to handle well uh, the potent temptations that come with social media. Uh, Consider delaying your kids access till they have wisdom and self-discipline. Be sure that you retain access to your kids' social media accounts, uh, if you choose, uh, to open that uh, door to them. Uh, That needs to be part of your parental routine, keeping an eye on what's going on there online and having conversations uh, in light of it. And then, uh, at the risk of repeating myself, I'll just uh, finally add, keep up this drumbeat emphasis with your kids. Facebook and all the other social media platforms are no substitute for face-to-face. Make sure that's uh, known and, and owned uh, by your kids. I think perhaps the most responsible use of Facebook and its ilk uh, by Christians is just to have very low expectations of it. Uh, whatever you use it for, it's only minimally related to what we really call friendship. It works positively in friendships and social lives, if it's just the trim uh, on the package, uh, it's never, never uh, the main engine of a biblical Christian social life. Well, my friends, I'll wrap up by saying uh, when I was a kid, uh, overhearing adults talk about what they wanted in their kids, a recurring theme was the socially well-adjusted kid. (laughs) Um, As Christian parents, we all want that. And indeed, that's a vital thing for our children. They become socially well-adjusted, which is to say they have the the right instincts, uh, the right um, uh, way about them in relating to other people that would enable them to be uh, influential people, uh, to be those who are uh, mighty in the kingdom Uh, Social media can be your enemy, parents, uh, in acquiring or achieving social well-adjustedness on the part of your kids. Ensure that those technologies uh, remain your servants, the servants of your kids, and never their masters. Well, next time, uh, the other half of raising kids in an internet age, I'll talk about online entertainment. I think I will call that podcast amusing our kids to death. And you'll see why uh, next time. But I am sure that I have given you enough to chew on for one episode. Take it to the Lord, brothers and sisters, in prayer. Uh, Be confident of his help. And of course, be encouraged, brothers and sisters. Christ is risen.
You've been listening to another episode of Resurrection Life with Pastor Nathan Trice. This is a ministry of Resurrection Presbyterian Church in Matthews, North Carolina. And if you've enjoyed today's podcast, please consider sharing it with someone you know. Thank you for joining us. Thank you.